0: Be our fortieth time, four zero. Thank you for your patience in hanging in there for that long. Uh, we've been speaking about how much better than any alternative is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've tried to do it in forty sessions, which seems like an elongated series, and it is, I suppose, in many respects. And yet, in the last chapter of Hebrews, chapter thirteen, in verse twenty-two. I want to read to you what the writer of Hebrews has to say about uh, his comments in 13 chapters of Hebrews. He says, but I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly 13 chapters, folks. We've spent 40 sessions, but this writer under inspiration wrote Manifold words contained in 13 chapters and his conclusion is I've only spoken to you briefly and you know this to be true. If you feast on the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you think about his goodness and of his grace and his mercy, good night, you could declare his praises from now and on into eternity. So I don't think we elongated Hebrews. I think we concentrated it. We squeezed it into a mere 40 sessions, but much more could be said. I'm telling you, no, the writer of Hebrews, by the way, do you know now who wrote it after 40? No. Even after 40 sessions, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. It kind of bugs me. I'm not certain who the writer is, but I'm certain the writer told us with certainty who the Lord Jesus is. He's told us he's better than the angels. He's told us he's better than the prophets. He's told us that his words, his voice is better than the words and voice of any other. He's told us that he's a better high priest and a better sacrifice than that which existed in the Old Testament economy. He told us that the Lord Jesus offers us a better way, a a better hope, a better rest, and for sure a far better covenant. He's covered all of that ground. And I hope you've been encouraged if you're a follower, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have him, you have a far better means of access to an otherwise unapproachably holy God. And in light of all that this far better one, this Lord Jesus has done for us, it begs the question, now what, Lord Jesus, ought we do for you? All of those truths covered in Hebrews demand from us a response. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight in this closing section at the end of chapter 13. We're calling this, of course, as you know, this study of Hebrews, the letter of better. And tonight in chapter 13, as we close, in verse 15 and on, I'd like to talk to you about better things to do. We have a far better Savior, and now it's up to us to determine to live our lives in such fashion that we find ourselves with far better things to do. And here is the first. Take a look in verse 15, and we'll go slow. Look, through him then, I wanted to cover more ground, but I had to stop right there. That says so much. Through him, Jesus, then, he's the mediator, he's the bridge. He's the connecting link between sinful people and an otherwise unapproachably holy God. There is no way to connect with God, to pray to him, to serve him, to make offerings of any kind to Almighty God except through the vehicle of of his own son, through him then. And so if you try to connect with God, even to make sacrifices for him, even to live a good moral and ethical life, the kind that God would be pleased with, if you try to do all those things but bypass the through him then, I must tell you nothing you offer to God is acceptable. How could it be that we would reject the son of God and think anything we do having rejected his son would be pleasing to his father. What do you think of someone who mistreats your child or grandchild? How much more, almighty God, who says of his son, he's my only begotten son, and in him I am well pleased. And if we say, Father, thank you for sending him, but no thank you, I think I can climb a religious ladder of good deeds and good works, and therefore I don't need to access you through your son. Oh, my goodness. It's not possible to connect with God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I must tell you, if you have not come to God yet through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, as a substitute for your sin and my sin on the cross, then you have nothing that you can offer to God. It has to start with Jesus as the mediator between you and almighty God. And if I could say this, it sounds a little harsh, but I think it's true. Not only are your offerings of morality and ethics and religiosity unacceptable to the Father apart from the Son, not only are they unacceptable, but you are unacceptable. In fact, you're under a weight of God's condemnation because no one other than you is responsible for your sin. He holds you already in a state of judgment and condemnation because you're left with your unforgiven, unpardoned sin, don't you see? And you can't bypass that and say, well, can't you grade on a curve? Can't you overlook my unholinesses? A holy God can't because he's uncompromisingly holy. So this thing of coming to the Father through the Son is essential. It's the starting point. That's how we begin the journey of walking with God that extends on into eternity. We love the phrase, to be born again. And it starts by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, then let us sporadically offer, let us partially offer, let us temper, let us continually offer. I got to tell you something, the Christian life is not something to be tried and then given up if it doesn't meet your needs. In fact, the one who tries out Christ but then walks away from him because he's not delivered the goods as you define it, I wonder if that one has been regenerated at all. Because this thing of knowing Christ is, uh, is so uh, consuming so envelops the believer that every aspect of the believer's life is caught up in Christ. Your thinking, your behaving, your speaking is a reflection of your connection to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of uh, I will try him on for size and see if it works, and I'll even offer him some things. If he comes through for me on my terms, I'll renew his contract. Yeah, that just doesn't get it. So the writer says through him then, let us continually uh, offer up to God a sacrifice. And wait a second, we're in the New Testament reading about sacrifice Uh, Aren't we of the opinion that the sacrifices pertain to the Old Testament and there are no sacrifices anymore in the New? No, that's not true. There are sacrifices in the New. However, the sacrifices offered by believers to God in the New Covenant are not offered to obtain forgiveness of sin. They're offered in light of the possession of forgiveness of sin. It's already a reality. It's already a certainty. We've laid hold of our pardon by faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the sacrifices I am invited to render to God, they're not compulsory. I do it voluntarily. We would bust if we had no means of saying, thank you, God, for saving my soul. And so there are sacrifices, even in the new covenant, which we are invited to offer. And here is the first. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice, here it is, of praise to God. What is that? It's the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. No more need for animal sacrifices. No need to sacrifice an unblemished bull or goat any longer. For Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain and paid it all. All, therefore, that remains for us now with regard to our sin is to praise God for forgiving it. Folks, We need to be filled with such a sense of the goodness and grace and gospel of almighty God that like a cup filled to the brim, we spontaneously overflow with praise. It is to speak well of God. It is to rehearse amongst others in their earshot. The attributes and perfections of Almighty God. Well, in what way is that a sacrifice? Well, it means we have to get out of preoccupation with self <laughs> just for a spell so that we can focus on the perfections of God and praise Him. It means we have to resist narcissism, self-centeredness, it, meism. We have to stop. Being distracted by our circumstances, even no matter how weighty. And we have to say, I'm making the sacrifice, oh God, of praise to you. Though I don't comprehend you fully, you are good. You are gracious. You are all powerful. You remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. Evermore. You have adopted me into your family purely by grace. You have been merciful to me. You've never let me down. You've never disappointed me. You see the end from the beginning. You exist outside the space-time dimension. You transcend all of creation, and yet your eye is upon us as your creatures. You've charted the course of our lives. You know what each day is intended for us. You have put your spirit in our lives, and taken up your abode such that we are like temples of your very Holy Spirit, you have given us Gifts so that we can edify one another and bring glory to your name. You're not the kind to be fickle. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You are our heavenly husband. We are the bride of Christ. And you hate divorce. You will never divorce us. And even at times when we feel like turning from you, you will never turn from us. You've prepared a place for us in heaven where you reside right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day we'll stand in your presence without fear because you love us perfectly, and your perfect love casts out fear. And, oh God, we will bow at your feet and worship you undistractedly forever and ever, for you are worthy of it, for you are the king above all kings and the Lord above all lords. And not only that, I know you personally. I call you Papa. I call you Daddy. I call you Abba, Father. And you say to me, come to me. Just as you are. And I will never, never send you away. Folks. Folks. God raised us up to bring praise to his name. It requires some... You know the word sacrifice in the original language? It means to kill or to slaughter for a purpose. In order to render this sacrifice of praise to God, we have to kill off selfishness, self-involvement, self-centeredness. We have to kill off the distractions of our lives. We have to kill off those things which compete for our time. We have to kill off our laziness and misunderstanding. We have to kill it all off, and we have to lift up. It's the fruit of praise. It's from our lips. We have to declare God's praise. And our Father loves it. Oh, yeah, it's a new covenant sacrifice. And we offer it in light of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And God is pleased. Well, there's a second thing, a better thing that we do. And it's mentioned in verse 16. Look, don't neglect doing good and sharing. So the first better thing to do in light of how much better it is to know Christ, is praising God. And here's the second, giving to others. Praising and giving. Giving of ourselves, giving of our material resources. Praising involves words uttered to God. Doing good and sharing involves deeds done for others, people all around us. Everybody is needy For help, we are to be ones who are on the lookout so as to see opportunities to help, to deliver the goods. And the reason for doing good and sharing is that such things please God. See? For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And when God is pleased by our giving and our sharing, especially on behalf of one another... That behavior gives him joy. And to know that we can do something that causes God joy gives us joy. So in the process of giving, have you had the experience? You find yourself receiving. Much more than anything you have expended and given, you find yourself to be on the receiving end. And God is pleased with giving and sharing because it comes awfully close to resembling exactly what he's like. Giving and sharing is very consistent with who he, a very giving and sharing God is. So there you have it. First, better thing to do in light of the betterness of Christ is to praise God. And the second is to give to others. And here's the third, verse 17. I don't know if you'll like this one, but it's right there in the text. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Today's submission is a dirty word. Shakespeare had one of his characters utter this phrase, oh, vile submission. See, we all want to be calling the shots. This text says, a far better thing to do is to obey your leaders. What leaders? Civic? No, not in this context. In this context, I think we're talking about obedience to, submission to, spiritual leaders. Look at the next phrase. See, for they keep watch over your souls. That's not the charge of the government. (laughs) That's the charge of pastors, ministers. Obey your spirit, your church leaders, And submit to them. Why? Well, because they keep watch over your souls. In what manner? As those who will give an account. Hmm. So, folks, here's the deal. When a minister of God is in the will of God, teaching the word of God, then the people of God ought to submit and obey as unto God. That's the way it works. Now, of course, a spiritual leader can abuse his authority. That's why a godly spiritual leader leads primarily by example, not by raw imposition of authority. He's like a shepherd. He's not beating the sheep. He's not pushing them. He's setting the pace. He's out ahead of them. God is speaking to him. He's leading the sheep to greener pastures, better places. And the leaders, the spiritual leaders' authority must never exceed that of God's. That's what a cult is. You see, a pastor could never, ever require of his congregants what God is not requiring them to do. A pastor cannot require of his church what God finds to be unacceptable. That's what cult leaders do. So there are guidelines here for sure. But But the duly appointed and called pastor of the church, leads nonetheless. And folks, I got to tell you, in many churches, it's the congregation that rules the leaders. A recent report indicated that the number one reason pastors don't have long tenures is that their churches won't let them lead. See, that's the calling, to lead lovingly, spiritually, but to lead nonetheless. I like democracy. I'm an American. I fought to defend it and would again, but I'm not so sure democracy in the church really turns me on. I think sometimes the opinion of some of us, uh, if it is allowed to nullify, the more educated and informed opinion of the pastor just gets in the way. I don't want a democracy. I would rather have a benevolent, not dictatorship, but leadership. From the senior pastor on down. Hey, could I, just, could I just step away from a second and get personal? Every once in a while, our pastor will say to us as a staff, and he's right, I hope you all realize how blessed it is to be at Sagemont Church. And he chimes in and says, it is for me too. And he's right. Could I turn it around a little bit? Members of Sagemont Church... I hope we all realize how blessed we are to submit to that pastor. <clears throat> they don't grow on trees. Years and years. In, and by the way, we aren't talking about I'll submit to the pastor when the pastor leads perfectly. No. I'll submit to the pastor when the pastor leads faithfully. Don't you see? Only Jesus is perfect. Lead faithfully. When a church has a faithful pastor, oh my goodness. Uh, Every once in a while a church member will say to me, Stuart, what do you think of the pastor's decision, such and such? Generally I say, "Uh, Brother John, I'm sharing this right now in your presence because I would like a raise. Let's just get that out right now. Getting, look at this. But I usually say to them, could I tell you something? I haven't really thought about it because my vote is for the pastor, not necessarily the specific decision the pastor made. Could I tell you something? I don't care. That's not really true. I do care. I do. But not that much. If the pastor makes a decision, let's say, other than what I would, so What? My vote is always a vote of confidence for the leadership. Is it godly, in spirit, Holy Spirit-inspired, faithful leadership? Well, don't you think the pastor is going to be the one who God speaks to more than the non-pastor? It just, now that's the way God does it in the church, dear folks. So this is a sacrifice for us because we're so given to this independent spirit of, you know, I'll do it my way kind of a thing. Please leave that out there. That's the culture. That's the world. In the church, God has a, can I use this dirty word? A hierarchy, an organizational hierarchy. I think it's just really thrilling. If you're endowed and gifted and called to be the, at the top of the hierarchy, then do it with ambition. But if you're not, get out of the way and let the one who is called lead. It's a huge responsibility, let me tell you. So anyway... We are called to do the better thing of submitting to God's order of things in the church by submitting to his duly appointed leadership in the church. And why? Well, the text says so that when they, pastors, give an account, implying they will, when they give an account to God for you, they might, look what it says, do this with joy and not with grief. What does that mean? I'm just kind of imagining this scenario Pastor is promoted to heaven, stands before the chief shepherd, and as the under-shepherd, he's interrogated by the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus says, Pastor, how did, uh, and then he names your name or my name. The Lord names your name. Say, so how did uh, so-and-so do? How did so-and-so do? Uh, respond to your faithful ministry? How did so-and-so receive your ministry of leadership, spiritual leadership to them? And the re- response of the pastor may have to be, well, Lord Jesus, uh, it me, saddens me to tell you not well. That person didn't. In fact, that person resisted me every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Well, the Lord Jesus might say, tell me, Pastor, uh, what was the spiritual growth experience of that person who you were charged with to take care of? And the pastor may answer, I did my best, as you know, Lord Jesus. Nothing is hidden from your eyes. I'm accountable to you. I was a faithful steward of the gifts you gave me and the calling. I saw it as a sacred trust, but I must again sadly tell you, there was minimal evidence of spiritual growth in that person's life. If that is the scenario, the text says, this would not only be a source of grief for a good and godly pastor, but the text also says this would be unprofitable for you. Be careful about disrespect resistance, lack of submission to godly leadership. Uh, This is not a cult. This doesn't mean you can't have input, make suggestions, and even complain. Not a problem. Not a problem. It's an attitude of respect. Be careful. For the man, sure, but not so much. For God's order of things in the church, and he is a God of order for sure. So then, Uh, three better things thus far are mentioned. One, praising. Two, giving. Three, obeying. And here's the final one, at least for tonight, verse 18. Pray for us. The author of Hebrews is requesting prayer both for himself and for those with him. Pray for us. So praying for leaders is the fourth better thing to do. Why is it better? It's better than criticizing. <laughs> it's better than quitting on a pastor. It's better than ostracizing. It's better than gossiping. Someone said one time, if you want a better pastor, pray for the one you have. Praying, is a sa- why is it a sacrifice? Because it's easier to be critical. It's easier to evaluate. It's easier to gossip. It's easier to scandalously stir things up. So, therefore, it's a sacrifice to let go of those carnal things and instead pray. Why in particular for spiritual leaders? Well, folks, a good spiritual leader is earmarked by Satan. Do you know that? Because if you or I fall, that's a bad thing. But if the senior pastor of a church falls in various ways, Oh, my goodness, many more are left wounded and in disarray along the way. So we have to pray for those in positions of spiritual leadership in churches. We have to pray about temptation, and we have to pray about theology, and we have to pray about discouragement, and we have to pray about illness and all the rest. They have to be prayed for, you see. So then, these are four far better things to do in light of the fact that we have a far better Savior. So one is praising, a second is giving, a third is obeying, and the last is praying. And I want to, uh, I want to bring to your attention some power-packed closing words, not mine, but given by God through the writer. Look at verse 20. Now the God of shalom, peace. Don't you love that? epithet when used with reference, the God of peace. There's no angst if you're a Christian when you approach the throne of grace. The Lord Jesus through the cross has effected peace between you and his. You're not at war with him. You're not an adversary. You're a kid. The God of peace who brought up from the dead. (gasps) That's a reference to the resurrection. Allah can't pull that off. Moses, didn't do it. Buddha, no way. Jesus, yes. The God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd. The Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Not the ravenous wolf, the predator, waiting to devour those who are his. No, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. How? Through the blood of the eternal covenant case you are uncertain about who this is a reference to. Look, even Jesus our Lord. May he equip you in every good thing. What good things? I think the things we just spoke about. Praising. Giving. Obeying. Praying. May he, the shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. May he Work out of us what he has already worked in us. May he who implanted his very spirit in us bring out the fruit thereof so that what comes out is a work which is pleasing in his sight. May he do this, look again, through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is so, listen, we cannot do in our own strength what we are to do. But we can do all we are to do through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So now I want to close our study in Hebrews, the letter of better, with the very words with which the writer closes the book. Verse 25, grace be with you all. Grace comes through Jesus Christ. Do you have him in your life? Yes. Or no. How do you answer? Grace comes through Jesus Christ. Do you have him? The source of grace. Do you have him in your life? What would you say if you cared to answer to somebody? Would your answer be yes? I know I have the Lord Jesus, the God of all grace in my life. Is the answer, no. If the answer is no, could we talk to you later? Would you trust us? Would you let us love on you? Be patient with you. Hear what you have to say. Ask you to hear what we have to say. This is important. He is far better than everything. That's the message of Hebrews. He's far better. You may have lost certain things, certain people, certain things. It hurts, but he is far better than everything. Grace is God being good to us for no good reason other than he chooses to. G- Grace <laughs> is God giving us what we do not deserve. We were saved By grace, that's how we got off to such a good start. We were born again by grace, and by grace we will praise, and we will give, and we will obey, and we will pray, and we will endure, and we will finish the course because grace will lead us home let me just pronounce this upon you in the words of Almighty God through the inspired writer of Hebrews. Grace be with you all. Lord Jesus, your grace conjures up an attitude of gratitude in us, which motivates, not compels, motivates us not to win your favor, but to... Rejoice in that we already have it by praising you forevermore, by giving of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, of our material resources to bless those around us in need, by obeying you by submitting to duly appointed authority in the church and, oh God, By praying for leaders and all those who without prayer are in big trouble. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for demonstrating yourself to be far better than we could ever have imagined. And for providing for us a far better means of access to the throne of grace. I think, Lord Jesus, we got the message of Hebrews. Many good things, but to have you. Is far better. And for this we are grateful and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.